That's in the air, this could be out. Driver's underneath it, will he catch it? He's got good hands, he's got him, yes he has. Driver's got him in the deep, having fumbled all night, he's taken the big one. guest today is the coach of the under-19 World Cup winning West Indies side, Graham West. He talks about molding a side of young individuals from the different regions of the Caribbean as a unit, the game plans, the Kima Paul Mankating incident and the fallout from it, and looks ahead to the future of these under-19 players, amongst other things. Welcome to the show, Graham. Not many thanks. Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure having you on, and congratulations on successfully coaching the uh, West Indies side to their first under-19 trophy. Um, I want to begin with uh, your task as the coach, especially the West Indies team, because, you know, the players come from the different Caribbean territories and you didn't have as much time gelling as a side as the other established sides like India, Pakistan or England, where the uh, players had many months together. So uh, how did you go about the task of molding them as a unit, as a team? It's certainly um, a challenge that probably until you've been to the Caribbean, you wouldn't really appreciate. Um, what we were able to do is to get the guys together on a fairly regular basis within the school holidays and um, work with them. Yeah. And um, as you said, we didn't play as much cricket as some of the other sides, but we did get to spend a good amount of time together in, in camp, working together and kind of getting the group to gel, um, they play against each other quite regularly. Um, so there's there's good relationships in there. But it was very important going to Bangladesh that, that, um, that they all knew one another, they understood each other when those that needed a bit more space, a bit more time, those that needed um, a bit more support, all those sorts of things were very crucial in our in our preparation, for sure. Uh, but at the same time, you know, because when you have, let's say, people from disparate backgrounds coming together, if they are professionals in any arena, you know, they have a job to do and they understand that they do it. But essentially what you have are high school kids um, and teenagers have their own issues in a lot of ways. Um, how does that work? Uh, as an, and you, you don't have them for a very long time. Uh, even as a team, because they move on um, from under 19 uh, to play professional cricket or whatever they chose to do. Um, so how does that work, uh, handling them and the emotional side of things? I mean, the, the reality is that for, for many of them, they, they may not play again un, until they play in a, in a senior West Indies team or A team, which would be, uh, which would be a great achievement for them. But that's, that's the reality. Um, as you said, with, with schoolboys, you have a number of challenges. You know, a lot of them have exams coming up this year, so there's, there's a lot of pressure in terms of their, their studies and, and making sure that they're keeping up to date with, uh, with their homework, um, with, with revision. Hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to keep them focused on, on the cricket, and uh, it's, a, it's a difficult balance. But uh, I think once we got to Bangladesh, the players really understood that they had to get their heads down. They, they had to work hard. We were playing catch-up. We hadn't had the, the matches that many of the other sides had had. Mm -hmm. So every game and every practice session that, that we had in Bangladesh, 
was really crucial in terms of getting ourselves prepared for the first game in, in the competition, which was against England. I mean, it was obvious as the tournament um, you know, unfolded that the strength of the West Indies team was its pace bowling. Um, but going into a subcontinental venue, you, there may have been preconception, preconceived notions that uh, you know, there might be slow bowling, the spinners uh, would have more of a role, but the conditions there gave enough support, especially in Mirpur, uh, with the seam, pace and bounce. So how did um, the game, what was the original game plan that you had put together and did that change over time? And if it did, how did it evolve? When we were when we were picking the squad back in, in December, we were, we were clearly looking for a balanced attack. Uh, which had spin options as, as well as pace options. Mm. Um, our difficulty was that we didn't have the, the quality of, of spinners uh, that we felt going into a World Cup that we would need. And um, therefore, you know, we'd have liked to have taken a left-arm spinner, but uh, we, we didn't feel that we had a left-arm spinner that was of good enough quality. Uh, so we had Kalacharan as our kind of variation with, mm. with his leg spin. And then we had three guys that, that all bowled off spin. Um, as, the, as the tournament developed, and we were fortunate that we got on some wickets that did encourage some, some good pace bowling. Uh, what, well, I think what we found was that the opposition were very strong playing against spin, were very comfortable playing against spin. And therefore, if we were going to challenge those particular teams, and obviously the three sides that we played in the in the knockout stages, all uh, Asian sides, mm-hmm. uh, we felt, you know, the, the quick bowling on, on a surface that, that gave a little bit of assistance was likely to give them more of a, a challenge than, uh, than our spinners. Um, you know, when I first announced on social media that you were going to be a guest, a lot of the people obviously sent questions regarding uh, the mancating incident. And I'm sure you've talked about it a lot, but um, I want to touch upon it um, from a philosophical point of view and what the players may have had to wrestle with after the uh, incident. Um, First, I want to know whether has there been talks amongst the team members or consultations with you prior to the man-kidding incident happening against Zimbabwe by Kimo Paul, um, or was it a spur of the moment? And I know that uh, you know uh, your skipper Hetmeyer uh, may have given warnings to the Zimbabwe batsmen uh, in the penultimate over of the uh, match. Um, but uh, could you set the record straight on that, uh, on how it came about? Was it you know, spontaneous or what? Sure. I can say that, uh, that I've never been involved as a coach or a player mm-hmm. with an incident um, such as that. Um, it, was not, it was not discussed prior to the game. It, it was not planned. Um, so it was very much down to the situation itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was... There was some observation in the penultimate over that the batter was looking to get a little bit of a head start, shall mm. we say. There was an observation, and not, and not a great deal more than that. But the, the bowler, um, sorry, Kimo Paul was aware going into that last over of what had happened the previous over. Mm-hmm. And hence, he, he hadn't actually entered into his delivery stride at all. 
when he broke the stumps. Um, so it was, yeah, as you said, it was it was very much spur of the moment, um, not something that, that I had witnessed, and, and therefore my initial reaction was um, was was of a little bit of, of shock in, in terms of um, you know just not being prepared for, mm -hmm. for something like that, given the nature of the situation as well. You know, we'd fought back in the game magnificently to, to get them nine down and in a position where we could win the game. But um, with six balls to go, three runs to win, probably what was the game of the tournament will, will only be remembered for that one moment. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that you should say that, you, you know, you were in shock because you weren't prepared for it. But that another way of looking at it is that your players were alive to the opportunities. Um, which was which also came to the fore in the final when uh, uh, Imlock ran out, uh, stumped um, Rishabh Pant in the first over, and he was one of the better batsmen in the tournament, and that kind of gave the advantage of the West Indies. Uh, was that sort of thing also discussed that you know Rishabh Pant can be sometimes uh, dozy uh, standing outside the crease? I, I think Imlock is is just a pretty uh, smart and aware. Uh, keeper, I'd seen in, in a couple of occasions during the competition that um, he'd actually thrown balls at the stumps in, in a similar situation, not not with the same success, but mm -hmm. clearly he, he does keep a, a close eye on that. And it, I think that dismissal was very significant in the final, uh, as you as you rightly mentioned. He was a, he was a class player. He'd, he'd done very well in the competition. And it was our first wicket, and it kind of allowed everybody to, to settle uh, into the game. So it was it was a pivotal moment, even that early in the game. Hmm. Uh, I want to go back to that uh, Mankating incident, um, and, and I want to talk about your uh, team captain Hitmeyer, uh, because there was a brief delay where the uh, field umpires, you know, referred to the TV umpire to see whether actually the batsman was out of the ground. Um, was there any? Um, pressure real or perceived on Hitmeyer to you know withdraw the appeal because he had 30 seconds to a minute to decide whether to stick with it or not and um, you must have had chats with him uh, and if you did what how did the chats go after the game and um, you know can you uh, shed some light on that yeah the the um the decision, or sorry, as you said, the, the referral to the to the third umpire uh, came after the umpire had actually said to Hetmeyer, "Would you like to proceed with the with the appeal?" Mm. For which he he said yes straight away. The team were one hundred percent behind that particular um, action. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the discussions after the game were kind of twofold. Firstly. I don't think anybody on the field was aware of the the, the reaction, the, the likely reaction that, mm. that's going to, to follow. So the first thing that we had to make the guys very aware of is that it is going to be out there. Um, you don't need to make any comment. At the end of the day, you've, you've played within the laws of the game. Of course. The unfortunate situation with this is a perception it's a perception <laughs> over the, the law and interpretation over the law uh you've not done anything that infringes on that mm -hmm. and therefore you can move forward um the only thing that we did say was that in future if 
a situation like that occurs, i.e. that you actually see the batter moving early, is to involve the umpire, to make the umpire aware that you have seen it, mm-hmm. uh, you have made the batsman quite aware that we've seen what you're doing, and that way, uh, at least if you do carry out a, a run out in that fashion, that the umpire will support the fact that you had warned the batsman and, and made it very clear to him that you knew what, what was going on. So that was really um, the the only advice that we gave the players after the game. Uh, we actually travelled very early the next morning, uh, which which kind of was, was a good thing because it allowed everybody to move on, mm-hmm. um, not dwell on that. And, and we knew that uh, we had Pakistan to play in the in the quarterfinal, and that was going to be a huge game for us. Uh, they'd won their group. They were unbeaten. Uh, so we kind of uh, we needed to, to move on. And although we had a couple of days to train and prepare for the Pakistan game, uh, we realised that we, we had to do a lot of work still after the Zimbabwe game because there were areas that we hadn't performed particularly well in that match. I mean, I find that... Uh the advice that you gave the team interesting that you know uh, they should warn even though they are not required by the laws of the game or the rules of the game um and uh, you know these are teenagers still trying to figure out the ways of the world around them etc um and um, they are doing nothing wrong they are well within the rights to run the batsman out even without the warning um so but then there was um, you know there was sections of media, fans, observers of the game, they, you know, that came down hard on um, Kimo Paul, which was, I thought was unfair. Um, was there any discussion on this philosophical disconnect, the dichotomy, where you're doing something right, so that is illegal, and, um, but at the same time, you're made to feel guilty about it? Uh, yeah, I think this is the, this is the anomaly within, within the laws of the game. Um, interestingly, every time it happens, this tends to follow. The, the, this, yeah. this kind of unfortunately, reaction. unfortunately. Yeah, and 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 so therefore, yes, as you say, young players have seen such incidents, mm-hmm. and, and and they're very much the the youth of today. They're, they're very much into the visual um, type of things, and 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 that's how they learn, and that's where they get their ideas from. So. Some of this comes down to the to the background that a number of the players had seen it, not just on the international stage, but I think domestically in, in club cricket in the Caribbean. So they're, they're familiar with it. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons why they felt the way that they did. As I said, we had to make it very clear to Kimo and the rest of the team that you have not done anything wrong, despite if you do read the comments, you, you <laughs> feel that you've done something Terrible. Uh, when you consider there was an incident in the game where, where the ball clearly came off the off the batter's glove through to the keeper mm-hmm. and, and was not given, if we if we want to refer to the spirit of the game, then, then clearly that would infringe on, on the spirit of the game far more. But those are the things that, that happen in a game and, and you, uh, you you move on and you, and you get on with it. Some days that those things go for you and some days they go again. Ian Bishop, yeah, I thought Ian Bishop spoke very well after the game in, in terms of reinforcing the, the, the law and, and the regulation that ultimately is, is what upholds the game. Yeah, I remember that uh, Ian Bishop comments uh, quite well, actually. 
Um, there were other um, cricketers that weighed in on this. Um, it, ha- it seemed like a lot of the uh, current England internationals were uh, appalled by it. Uh, but, uh, but more interestingly, uh, it was the current West Indies skipper, Jason Holder. He took to social media and he was quite vocal and uh, forceful in his support of what had happened and support of the boys moving forward in the tournament. Did any of Jason Holder's comments make its way to your uh, side? And uh, did that renew their confidence in themselves and the processes and the goals here? I think we were very grateful for the the comments that came particularly from the Caribbean in, in, in support of, uh, of what had happened. And, and we didn't um, sit the players down and get them to read those comments. I'm mm-hmm. sure that they they were available to them, and they would have they would have seen them. Um, I think I can say, having come from from England, that there's, the the perception would be slightly different in England and to the Caribbean, and possibly that is one of the reasons why you get the disparity um, in in the reaction. Um, we we go back to the same thing. The rules, the laws of the game mm-hmm. are as such that it is within the laws of the game. Um, maybe the, the culture in, in some countries is slightly different. I thought it was interesting that Murali Carty also spoke mm-hmm. up um, in, in, uh, in reinforcing the situation with the law of the game. And, and there's been another incident, hasn't there, recently? Yeah, since, yeah absolutely. Uh, Oman in the World T20s Asia Cup, yeah. And... and I've also read to, today that um, there's been discussions with the captains before the D20 World Cup in, in terms of what would happen in, in a similar scenario and uh, the match referee encouraging the, the players not to, to carry out such, a, such an act, which, again, it, you're questioning the law of the game there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so for me... It's it's brought it all back into the uh, into the public eye, hasn't it? And I would I would think that there will be another uh, discussion within those that that make the rules fairly shortly. I mean, I hope uh, bowlers keep running out uh, batsmen that are backing up too far for um, till the end of time, till the batsmen realize that they shouldn't be leaving the crease early. That's where I stand. Um, but this incident sort of seemed like a point of inflection for the squad itself. Um, was there a us versus uh, them or us versus the world kind of mentality? Because especially with your skipper, uh, Hetmeyer, you know, even though he was not directly put under the spotlight, uh, he must have felt some amount of responsibility that sticking with the decision, which is great. Um, but two, also he rounded into some sort of batting form uh, going into the knockout stages. Um, could you talk about his role within the side itself and the calming influence he seems to have had? Well, there, there are a number of things when you look at the campaign that you could talk about as, as turning turning points or, or pivotal moments in, in terms of galvanizing the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't feel that that was something that necessarily made a great deal of difference. We were under we were under a lot of pressure to get into the knockout stages. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no doubt about that, um, and then possibly that was reflected in, in some of the cricket that we played. Um, Hetmeyer, we we identified Hetmeyer as the captain in in August at the um, camp that we had following the regional under nineteen competition. 
because we liked the way he went about things on the field. He did things a little bit differently. He was very positive. Um, and, you know, the players certainly looked up to him. At the time, he, he was the standout batsman in that competition. So he'd come off the back of some big scores. Unfortunately, he got injured in our first day of our camp in, in December. Mm -hmm. um, didn't play any parts in, uh, in what we did in, in Grenada before we headed to, to Bangladesh. So we didn't really have a lot of opportunity with him there on the field to develop his, his captaincy skills. And he's certainly a player that is a naturally very positive and, and sees the positive. And at times there was a bit of a challenge between him and some of the bowlers. He wanted to do things maybe a little bit more positively than, than they did. And he, he wears his heart on his sleeve when he gets frustrated. You can, you can see it. And it's one of the things that we've told him about. And, um, he's got to, he's got to cope in those situations a little bit better and, and not show, um, some of those, uh, signals. But, um, you, in terms of passion and in terms of enthusiasm, you can't fault him. And it was very much down to him, the way that our strategy evolved, going heavily with the, the seamers rather than the spinners in the uh, in the latter stages of the competition. Hmm. Um, you know, the latter stages of the competition, you know, you, at Pakistan, you opened the game really well, getting them down for 50 for five or something like that. Um, you know, you basically had that game in hand, um, although you still had to make a good chase because uh, uh, one of the Pakistani batters made a century. Um, and then Bangladesh came, you're playing against the host game. Uh, I want to talk about the finals too, but... These two games uh, against Pakistan and Bangladesh, um, what was the mood? You know, did you see uh, a maturing of the players in understanding the game situation and how to handle the pressure of a knockout game? What we, uh, what we talked about, one of the things um, Corey Collymore mentioned to the, to the boys on, on a regular basis, is the importance of the of the start and the finish of each inning. So clearly, any form of the game now, you try and break it down into various um, sections. Mm -hmm. But for him, the, the key message that he got across, and I found this really valuable, uh, was the importance of starting an innings well and, and finishing an innings well. And the two games against Pakistan and Bangladesh, with the bat and with the ball, we started very well. We started very positively. And I think um, that was that was a key to to the success there. Um, we started with the ball well against India in the final, mm -hmm. not not quite so well with with the bat, but obviously chasing a smaller score that wasn't quite as uh, as vital as it had been in the in the two games. Because against Pakistan and Bangladesh, you know you're going to get a lot of spin. Um, so those first ten overs were were really important in our chase, and certainly with Pope. Scoring very quickly, um, immediately he managed to bring the target down to something that was pretty comfortable for the middle order, mm -hmm. just within the space of five or six overs. So I think that was that was very significant. But also the uh, the quality that our new ball bowlers were able to demonstrate with the introduction of Shamar Holder for the Pakistan game. You know, we found a partnership with uh, with Joseph. That all of a sudden, you know, seemed to turn around our fortunes quite uh, quite quickly with the two of them being 
um, aggressive, but also having control and skill. Uh, that's where all of the uh, the, the top order batters, uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and India, all struggled to uh, to deal with the the threat that those two guys uh, had. Um, let's uh, talk about the final versus India itself. You know, we uh, we talked about uh, how you know, India were reduced to five down for almost nothing on the board, and Safras Khan plays one of the better innings of the tournament. And yet, you know, India were uh, bowled out for one forty-five. You have very small target, but early couple of wickets. But then you're still seventy odd for five, uh, with another seventy odd to get, um, and lots of overs left. But what are your thoughts at the at this point, sitting outside the boundary? <laughs> we, I think personally, uh, it was a game whereby my emotions were were like a roller coaster. As I said, you think. You go into the game as the underdogs, you know that uh, you're playing against a good side, so your expectations are very much based around that. You have them 50 for five, and you're thinking, wow, this is a great position. If we can finish the job here, brilliant. Um, while Safraz was in, as a, always a reluctance to get too far ahead of ourselves. But then to, to knock India over for less than 150, you're suddenly the favourites, and, and that was probably the first time in the competition that we were we were seen as the favourites. Mm. Uh, we knew a good start would, particularly chasing a smaller uh, total, would have been a, would have been excellent, and we'd have been halfway there. But a couple of early wickets, and, uh, and with Pope not really having the impact that he'd had, but we got to 67 for two, and again we were really in charge of the game. Hetmai was playing really nicely. And his dismissal was probably the, the, the most disappointing because he had the game yeah. in his pocket. He was really dictating, was scoring um, fairly freely. So that was a, a frustration. And, and then the two wickets that followed, you know, within the space of five overs, the game had really been, been turned on, the, on its head. And for me, yeah, you, you're, you're now starting to, to think the worst. Although, you know, you've still got five wickets left. You've got some good players. Um, still to come, but um, but certainly India, I'm sure, must have thought that they've got themselves right back in the game at that situation. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of after this win, a lot of it's, a lot has been said and written um, in the Caribbean uh, that it has brought some much needed pride back into West Indies cricket, and this could be the turning point for cricket in the region, etc. Uh, your thoughts on that? Are people reading? Too much, too soon into this. The the response um, certainly overwhelmed me um, when we returned to the Caribbean. Uh, difficult from a distance to know exactly how people are feeling and, and how much support you're, you're generating. But on arrival back in Barbados, it was very clear that the, the cricket fans in the Caribbean had really got behind the team, stayed up all night for the, for the last couple of games. And um, it was very, very well received. I think that everybody's been looking for a positive. Everybody's been looking for something that they can look towards mm. uh, to turn the fortunes of the senior team around. Uh, clearly, these guys are not going to do that overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, you only really have Alzari and Hetmeyer that had played first-class cricket prior to the competition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and only a handful of games. So you're now 
need to really look at the pathway for these players to ensure that over time they can realise that the potential that they have certainly shown in abundance in, in the competition. So the franchises are going to play a significant role in now developing the likes of, of Joseph, Hetmeyer, and for me, you know, other standout performers like Kimo Paul and, and Shamar Springer mm -hmm. uh, need to, to get the right support from their territories to then continue to, to progress, uh, make their way into first class and, and, and list a cricket. And I think you know, they're, they're, most of the boys are 17 and 18. By the time they're 24, 25, you'd like to think that they've been given everything that, that was available to ensure that they've, they've moved forwards and um, hopefully by then that they're starting to push for a, for a place in the senior team. Now, that's some, that's some way away. Yeah, and what, we, what we're really working towards through the high-performance programs is producing a, a pool of players that will uh, start to knock on the door for, for senior team and, and, and A team cricket. Um, by professionalising the first class cricket, mm -hmm. we're going to start to see over the next couple of years uh, the players, the benefits that the players will have had physically, mentally, uh, as well as with the, the, the techniques and the, and the tactics. Um, I think it's interesting this season, only the second season of professional cricket, that we're seeing more batters averaging between 40 and 50 rather than between 25 and 35, which was the case when I first came to the Caribbean. So there's some, there's some positive signs, but um, it will all take time for these players to gain experience and, and be well prepared for the international arena. And finally, Graham, um, you know, I want to talk about your background in the sense that you, know, you come from England. So are there any specific challenges to that in being a coach in the Caribbean, um, trying to lead a national representative side uh, as an Englishman? I think there are challenges for, for every coach in every new uh, team or any new environment and culture. Um, coming to the Caribbean, the, the biggest difference I found was the players' background in so much as what coaching support that they had received before they'd come in contact with me. Hmm. Uh, in England, you have a system whereby uh, you're coached from a very young age at a club, um, possibly at a, a, a school, mm -hmm. and then your counties will, will pick you up and develop you and you feed into academies and there's a consistent coaching support available to the player and that's very much paramount to their development. Now that is, is uh, as things are in, at the moment in the Caribbean, that's not quite the, the, the same, particularly in, in some areas, uh, more than others. And therefore, the players aren't necessarily as comfortable initially with a coaching support. They, they may have pretty much found their own way um, to, to the point that you're working with them. So they've been their own coach or mentor um, and, and developed a method and a style that's produced some success. So my biggest challenge was really developing relationships with players so that they could understand where I was coming from mm -hmm. and the information that I could offer them would, would be a value that they would actually 
take it on, listen to it, try it out, and, and see where it took them. So that uh, that certainly was a, a big learning curve for me. Uh, with this particular team, it's a very young side. It's a, it's a very inexperienced side. And myself and Corey spent a lot of our time in Bangladesh talking to the players about the game, making them aware of situations, getting their thoughts on, on how they played in a particular situation. And I think that the six weeks that we had allowed us to share information and allowed the players to, to look a little bit closer at, at their methods and, and their reading of the game. And um, that, I think that that's one of the big learning things that came out from me in that in that amount of time, mm. the players could develop um, very quickly with, with the right people around them. Mm. And that's a, that's a great sign moving forwards because there are some, some very good coaches in the Caribbean, but there's many very experienced players with a great wealth of knowledge that can... Uh, given the right opportunities, can can pass that down, and uh, and I think that that's going to be very important for for cricket in the Caribbean to uh, to move forward. All right. On that note, Graham, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, once again, congratulations.